is a test. All right, there it is. So uh, that actually leads me into the very first thing I have to discuss is an announcement about our sound equipment, all right, our sound equipment. Uh, two things. Um, first, I have a, a brown headpiece like this that has gone missing. So if you happen to know where it is or have seen it around, uh, please return that to us. I would be greatly thankful, but we do have this here, and it works well, too. But if you have it, it's nice to have, too. Uh, second thing, if you have, there have been evidence of tampering, criminal tampering. No, uh, child tampering. Um, we have a lot of children that run around here, and they're all a blessing. We love every one of them, and children do childish things. And when they see buttons and knobs that turn and twist and slide, it's irresistible, all right? So if you have young children, uh, then please watch them if they are around the sound booth back there. Uh, they came, and, and, the, and all the knobs were slid up and turned, and things were everywhere, all right? So although maybe it's one of you who can't resist playing with knobs, all right? So, um, but please... Please, that's if you have this, and then just please be mindful of our sound equipment. Uh, Erica would be greatly appreciative of that. Yes. Um, all right. This is the last Sunday that you have hearing from me preaching for a month, for four weeks. All right. The last Sunday. So some of you guys are like, yes. All right. That's a, uh, I see that. No. All right. So. Um, but it is the last Sunday, and I'm going to be on vacation. We leave Friday, July 13th. I know, superstitious, right? So July 13th, Friday the 13th, right? Um, we leave Friday, July 13th, and return to Island August 3rd. Um, please do not post anything on my social media account. I know you guys love me and miss me and might, you know, post things. And uh, please don't post anything about, you know, enjoy your trip on the mainland or we miss you. Because it is a surprise trip for a family member. I'm not going to say who because they do listen to my sermons online as well. So, uh, so now one of them knows, ooh, a surprise is happening. Is it me? And so half of them will be disappointed if it's not them. But... Um, <laughs> Please don't post anything. Don't, don't spoil the surprise. You're going to be well cared for. Uh, we have a good lineup of preachers. Next week will be Pastor Jim, our newly appointed and affirmed uh, elder here at Kahului Baptist Church. Pastor Jim will be bringing the word for you next week, and then it's going to be followed by, uh, I believe, Pastor Jay of Waiehu Church Plant for two Sundays, and then Pastor Rocky from Waiehu Church Plant of two Sundays. So your soul uh, will be blessed. These are faithful men capable and able to teach and preach God's word. Uh, here's something that happens. Every pastor knows this, all right? Every pastor knows what happens. When the, when the preaching pastor leaves and goes on vacation, uh, the members are tempted to also go on vacation, all right? You know what I'm talking about. Like, well, well, Pastor Randy, I like to hear him. I'm, I'm not going to, I'll take a little bit of a leeway here, all right? Don't do that. Don't do, you, you can do whatever you want, but don't do that. You will be blessed by the preaching of the word. You will miss out. Uh, everybody has a different style of sharing. These guys are capable and able. Um, but man, you never know. You will just, hearing it from a different perspective, a different hue, a little bit different delivery can just, okay, it's all God's word, but he uses different means. And so come hear these guys. They are, uh, they love you. They love you. They love the glory of God and you will be blessed. All right. So uh, I will miss you. I will miss you all. Um, 
but we will have a good time. Pray for us as we travel with three young children uh, and a road trip and plane and, you know, all that. that we are, we're not one of those viral videos uh, of things going wrong on airplanes that comes out, all right? So pray for us, um, which also means this. This also means this. This is my last time in four months. Uh, sorry, four months. It's getting longer. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sliding it up there. Uh, uh, last time in four weeks, so it uh, means I get to go a little bit longer today. Amen? Amen. Amen. And actually, Wanda Jean hasn't been here for about two months due to knee surgeries, and so uh, it's a special request that I go long from her, too. So uh, you can thank her later. The title of the sermon, Faith is the Victory. Faith is the Victory. This is our last sermon in 1 John, so we're cutting it short by, by one week, so things will be a little bit more crammed today. But we've been walking through the aged apostle. He's now older, more mature. He's seen a lot in his life. He's seen a lot of people persevere. He has persevered. We, he's seen a lot of people depart from the faith. And so you can say now you have John the apostle, the veteran believer, writing to a church in hardship. And he has encouraged this church as many have departed, probably some of the pastors and false teaching and behavioral issues or not keeping the commandments of God, he is now encouraging those who remain to press on, to be faithful, to know. They, he writes these things so that they may know that they have life in Jesus. And so he's been writing, and we've been covering this, this really dense epistle, and, and we've seen three tests emerge over the course of our time together in the meat of the letter. Uh, it's the test of love. How do you know if you're a true believer this morning? How do you know if you have genuine, what the Bible would call genuine, saving faith? Because not all faith is the same. Just because you have faith doesn't mean it's saving faith. How do you know? How do you know? And John gives us these three tests. Do you love the people of God? The love test. Do you love the people of God? The second test, the obedience test. Do you obey the commands of God? Are you walking in the light? God is light. Are you walking in the light in fellowship and obedience to God's commands? The obedience test. The third test, the doctrine test. Do you receive apostolic instruction, the word of God? Do you believe right things about God? The doctrine test. Love, doctrine, obedience. These three tests all mingled in really to one test that, are, that kind of look at various facets of somebody whose life has been genuinely transformed by the power of the gospel. Today we have our conclusion. Today we come to our final word that John leaves ringing in our ears. John has drawn heavily from Jesus' final discourse to them in John's gospel, chapter 13 to 17 specifically. He has leaned heavily on that material from Jesus in this letter. And so what is this final picture that he now leaves ringing in our ears as a body? Let's pray and see. Father in heaven. Your word is powerful. Your word, as we saw in our fighter verse, all of your words prove true. 
And so, Father, may we abide in that word, may we receive that word, may we submit to that word, and may you prove a shield for us this morning, for all those who take refuge in you. Because as John says, may we keep ourselves from idols, for who is a God except the Lord, and who is a rock except our God. May we see at the conclusion of this letter that no other God saves, keeps, and protects his people like you. And may we live for you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's a big idea. God's children, kept by God's power, are victorious over the world, sin, and Satan, and will gain eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's your big idea. God's children, kept by God's power, are victorious over the world, sin, and Satan, and will gain eternal life in Jesus Christ. I have four points. We're going to do it a little bit different today. I'm going to go, I'm going to skip the first point because that's where I'm going to end. I'm going to end in verses one through five. I'm going to give you an overview of the rest of the chapter. Again, uh, there's a lot to kind of cram in here, and there's a lot of interpretive uh, types of issues here to deal with. We won't touch on any of them, so I'm going to give you the overview of the rest of the chapter, highlight some things, and then we're going to land in verses one through five. All right, so we're going to go fast. You ready? Starting in verse 6. Number 1, the testimony concerning the Son of God. The testimony concerning the Son of God. As I said, there are some major interpretive challenges. We're not going to have time to cover them. We're not going to have time to cover all of the implications of them, but I'm going to address them briefly. Verse 6, what does it mean when it refers to Jesus who came by water and blood? right? That's what it says. It says that he came by water and the blood. What does that mean? What is that? That's, that's one interpretive challenge. I'm going to do what I don't like to do as a teacher of the Word of God. I'm going to give you the answers up front, all right? Normally, if you ever ask me a question, you know this, uh, you'll be like, Pastor Randy, what does this mean? And I'm like, what do you think it means? You tell me, right? And so uh, it drives you guys crazy, but I want you to think. I don't just want to give you the answers all the time. So uh, I want you to think. That's why I want you to think hard and meditate. And how does this connect? Today I'm going to give you the answers, all right? You get the cliff notes. Here's what it does not mean. It does not mean uh, baptism in the Lord's Supper. That's a popular uh, interpretation and one that's had sway in church history. It's not referring to the ordinances by water, meaning baptism, and blood, meaning Lord's Supper. It's not referring to that. It's not referring to the spear in the side of Jesus when, when it says his side was pierced and outflowed what? Blood and water. Not referring to that. Again, I don't have time to tell you why. I don't think it's referring to that, but it's not either of those things. The same, it's either one or the other. It's either referring to his incarnation. He came by water, his pregnancy. He came in the womb of Mary by water and the blood, the cross, or by his water, meaning baptism, his baptism. And there's a change in prepositions that he came through the water, and through the blood. And why is this important? Because John is addressing a false teaching in the church. He is addressing concerning the nature of the Son of God, concerning the nature of who Jesus is. And the teaching went something like this. And this actually still exists today in our world in various forms. Uh, The teaching went something like this. Jesus wasn't always God. He became a God 
when the Spirit of God descended on him at his baptism. He was just a man, born a man like anybody else, and God's Spirit descended on him at his baptism, and he became the Son of God. And then, at the cross of Christ, as he's being crucified, God's Spirit left him, and it was not God that died on the cross, which is why they would say, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, such that they're saying his forsaking, he ceased to be God. And John says, no, he is the Son of God from all eternity, born not just in water, but the actual prepositional phrase in the Greek is through, dia, through the water, he was the Son of God. Through the blood, through the cross, he was the Son of God. And so he died as fully God, fully man, a perfect sacrifice, an infinite sacrifice for the sins of the people, which is why he is the only mediator between God and man, and he is the only one who can offer his blood as a propitiation for the sins of all people everywhere, because he is the Word made flesh. He got the answer. He got the answer. Verse 7 deals with this, uh, what they call the Johnine coma, or the Johnine comma, uh, and there's an absence of it in the original manuscript. So if you have a New King James Version or King James Version, you come to verse 7, you will find your translation says something quite different than what we read here. Not heretical by any means. It's actually quite true. The question isn't whether it's true. The question is whether it was part of the original manuscripts. And so in the ESV and others are relegate that passage to a footnote status. That's one interpretive issue. How did that happen? What do we do with these things? Uh, I preached a sermon on the Word of God. You can find it on our archives uh, later but it addresses all those types of textual issues. The question then that we could ask is, what does it mean without it? All right, so I'm going to assume that it's not original. That's, that's what I would say, that, that verse 7 is not original. So what does this whole section kind of mean? There are three that bear witness, the water, the blood, the spirit. What, what does it mean without it? The essence of what this section is addressing is very simple. You must receive God's testimony concerning Jesus, or you call God a liar, and his wrath rightfully abides on you. You do not have life, you have death. For those who receive the testimony concerning Jesus, whoever has the Son, he says, have li has life. If you do not have the Son, you do not have life. You, and this is what it means, it's quite simple. You will either come to God through Jesus or not at all. That's what he's saying. You will either come to God through Jesus, or if you reject Jesus and say, no, I can be spiritual. I can have a relationship with God another way. That's just a different way. He says, you either come through the Son, or you don't come. Or you don't come. That's what this section is addressing. Do you have the Son? That's the question. Do you have Christ? Do you receive Christ? Do you believe on Christ? If you do, you have life. If you do not, you don't. It's that simple. Number two, 
That's the testimony of the children of God. Number two, the confidence of the children of God. This is verses 13 to 20, the confidence of the children of God. It's worth noting the contrast between verse 13 of chapter 5 and John's gospel, chapter 20, 31. There's a parallel. There's a very important parallel and a purpose statement. John's gospel says this. This is a purpose statement. It's famous. These things are written so that you, this is John's gospel, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's John 20, 31. Now here, 1 John 5, 13, our text this morning. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you see the difference? These are written, John's gospel, these are written so that you may believe. 1 John 5, 13. These are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you see the difference? John is stressing in his epistle anyways to believers who believe that they may know. that They, He wants you to have confidence. He wants what every pastor wants for his sheep, for the flock that he's been entrusted, that you would know on the last day when you stand before God, that you would know and have deep assurance in your heart that you have life. And John tells you how to have it. Love the brothers, obey God, and believe truth about him. And you'll know. You'll know. And what is our confidence? What is one tangible evidence of confidence? Or how, how do we know this? John says simply this. When we pray in accordance with God's will, he hears and answers us. That's incredible. When you pray, when you talk to God, when you have your quiet times in the morning and you sit and you pray and you have this confidence if you're his child that he hears you. And that whatever you ask in accordance with his will, he answers you. There is a lot of soil that will yield a lot of fruit if you will meditate in this rich environment. We're not going to have time today. We're not going to have time today. Briefly, I do want to note that notice he is asking that we would pray. So he says, ask God. Whatever you ask of him in accordance with his will, he hears you. And in verse 15 and 17, he does something really peculiar. And here's another interpretive thing we have to deal with. Verses 15 and 17. Or I'll start in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. You see the interpretive issues that we would ask? What is a sin that leads to death? Am I committing it? Why shouldn't we pray for people who commit the sin that leads to death? What are the sins not leading to death? What is this asking God? You see, there's a lot of interpretive things. Uh, I had hoped to spend more time with you. I'm not going to take the time to do it. I'm again, I'm going to give you the answer. What is the sin that leads to death? The Cliff Notes version, it's apostasy. It's apostasy. It's what John's been addressing this whole time. Departing from the faith after receiving it initially, rejecting it, and returning to idols. 
hear the final word of his, of his epistle. Little children, keep yourself from idols. This is different than doubting, struggling with a season of sin or something of that nature that believers can have. This is genuine apostasy, drifting into heretical teaching. This would be akin to the subject matter that Paul deals with in Hebrews chapter, or the writer of Hebrews, not, we don't know, in Hebrews chapter 6 and chapter 10. The sin not leading to death is pretty much everything else we struggle with as believers. Sin not leading to death is pretty much everything else we struggle with. Now, here's what I want you to see here. Notice the substance of the prayers that John encourages us to ask. The substance. He encourages us literally to ask God, and he says God hears and answers us when we pray like this, to deliver fellow believers from ensnaring sin. Think about that. This is incredible. Beloved, do you know somebody in sin who's committing sin that that you see and and they don't seem to see it? They're ensnared or they're hardened or they're deceived and they're they're walking in it. They're handing themselves over to it. They've, They've stopped fighting. Do you know somebody like that? John says, pray for them. Because God hears those prayers and he answers them. And he says, when you pray for them, their deliverance will come. God will give them life. That's powerful. That's an incentive to pray. Now, there's a few good questions to ask about this. I'm not going to ask them with you now, but you'll see them apparently later, and as you meditate on it, it'll be again. You, you will have questions about this, but I want to encourage you, pray, pray for those who are committing sin that does not lead to death that you know in your life because God hears them. He really, really hears them. And keep praying. When do you stop praying? When your heart stops beating. That's when you stop praying. And then you won't have to pray anymore because you'll be with the mediator himself. And he'll be showing you how it's done. God hears these prayers. Wish we could spend more time there. Number three, the caution for the children of God. So that was the confidence of the children of God. Number three, the caution for the children of God. Verse 21, keep yourselves from idols. Man, this is, a, it's just like, this is the only letter in the New Testament that ends like this. There's no salutation. There's no, uh, I'll see you in the winter, or greet the brothers, or, or I, John, write this with my own hand. I love you. There's, there's none of that stuff. It's the only letter in the New Testament that ends like this. And he just says, Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Peace. But John is writing with all the gravity that he wants ringing in the ears of his readers and us today. Keep yourselves. And if I had to sum up what one pastor said, if I had to sum up what he was saying, I think this is dead on. Keep yourselves from distortions of who Jesus is. Keep yourself from distortions of who Jesus is. There's a lot of things that claim to be teachings of Jesus, the the people who claim a character of Jesus, a a God who is love and affirming of every way of life, no matter what it is, because we're all God's children after all. He says, keep yourself from distortions of who Jesus is. Keep yourselves from idols. And number four, 
We'll end here. We'll spend most of our time here. The triumph, the triumph of the children of God. The triumph of the children of God. Verses 1 through 5. This whole letter, and indeed a lot of the New Testament, is a vital call for the perseverance of faith in the life of those who claim to be Christians. It's a vital call for you to overcome, to persevere, to not give up in spite of all the trials, in spite of all the tribulations, in spite of all the difficulties that we all encounter. Life happens hard and it happens fast, doesn't it? We start out, we graduate from high school, praise God with our graduates, and you think life has been a challenge, and it has to your understanding. And you enter the world idealistic, and one by one, the waves just wham, wham. I know many of you in here have experienced this, whether it be the loss of a child, the abandonment of a spouse, marital issues, whatever it is. Death of a family member, sin in relationships, all of it can tempt you to give up. And John issues this vital call to persevere. So let's get into this call because there's a lot of encouragement here. What do we mean? First of all, we see this, how it begins, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Focus in on that everyone who believes, that first phrase. Literally translated in the Greek, everyone who believes, it's translated as a verb. Believe is translated as a verb. It's actually a participle. So if I were to translate it uh, in the English, it would be something like this. Everyone who is believing, it's a participle, it's an active present participle, denotes ongoing action. Everyone who is believing that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. There's a parallel, actually, in John 3.16. Same author. John 3.16, famous verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes has everlasting life. Right? That everyone who believes or whoever believes, exact parallel to this. Same structure. It's not a verb. It's actually a participle in John 3.16, too. So that the ones or all who are believing, same thing, translate it, same thing, will not perish but have everlasting life. The implication is that genuine saving faith is not a one-time commitment. It is not a one-time response to a powerful sermon or altar call or uh, some, a decision you made at a youth camp at one time in your life when you felt some stirring from God and, and you either walked an aisle and cried and maybe prayed a prayer and got baptized and all these. It's, it's not a one-time commitment that has zero impact on the rest of your life. He says, everyone who is believing, currently, present, ongoing, in Jesus has life. And we could add, 
and continues with the rest of his letter, and continues believing and living in accordance with that profession throughout the duration of their life that ultimately results in a victorious conclusion, all of them have been born of God. Meaning, God's children will overcome. God's children will overcome. That's what that word we saw means, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God, okay, very similar construction to verse 1, everyone who believes or everyone believing that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, he carries that down, verse 4, for everyone who has been born of God now overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? When you see that word overcome, verse 4, three times, you say, wait, I see it two times. It's actually there three times because the second occurrence, it's translated as victory, but it's actually a Greek word that you're all familiar with. You all know Greek this morning, guaranteed. It's a Greek word you're all familiar with. You call it Nike. It's actually Nike in the Greek, and it means just that victory victory. That's what it means. It's the verbal form of that. Overcome, victory, conquer. The children of God are victorious over the world, sin, and Satan. Their faith will overcome. It will prevail. Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave his life for us. This idea of overcoming, conquering faith shows up again and again in John's writings. We're going to see it in Revelation when I start that in August. So if you're here with us, we're going to be starting on, we're going to embark on Revelation, the the book of Revelation written by John the Apostle, very similar writing styles. We're going to start that mid-August, so come back, bring a friend. Everybody wants to know about Revelation. It's a great time to bring a friend as we talk about the end. I had somebody say, Never heard any pastor preach on Revelation before. He said, it's ambitious, Pastor Randy. (laughs) That's a nice way of saying you're wondering how it's going to go. Thank you. But it's right. It it, it may be ambitious or foolish. We'll see at the end. But we see this idea come up again from John in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. In 321, he says this. The one who conquers, same thing, overcomes... I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This idea is going to come up again and again, which means this. Built into the gospel invitation is a call to persevere. Built into the gospel. When you hear that, come, come. There is a call ingrained in there to persevere. Which means this, salvation many times is likened to a race. It's likened to a race. There are some famously difficult races that exist today. Anybody ever run a marathon? Do I have any marathon runners in here? Raise your hand. Anybody? One, two, three. Somebody's hand was raised for them. Good. I I see three. Uh, Marathon, full thing. How long is a marathon? 26.1 miles. 
It's a hard race. Anybody run to their driveway about the extent of it? You guys want a workout joke? I'll give you a workout joke. Can I do a joke in a sermon? We're fundamentalists, right? So there's got to be fun and mental to be fundamental. What's the favorite exercise for people who don't work out? Favorite exercise for people who do not work out? Diddly squats. There you go. What did you do today? Diddly squat. All right. Famous, famous, notoriously hard runs and races in our world. One of them is the Barkley Marathons in Tennessee. They're 100-plus mile marathons, or they're extreme distance. 100-plus miles through the mountains of Tennessee. It's a five, it's a loop. You run five times in different directions. It's difficult. Thousands have tried in 30 years. Only 15 people have completed it. In like manner, the scriptures testify that many will begin to run. Many will begin to run. But only the children of God can, can and will finish. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Many will begin to run the Christian life, the faith. But only the children of God can and will overcome. John says, everyone who is believing that Jesus is a Christ has been born of God, and therein lies the key to your finishing. If you believe and keep on believing, why is it that you would finish and somebody else wouldn't? Because you're better? Maybe because you're stronger, more committed? Why is it that you would believe when others fail? It's not because you're better, stronger, faster, more committed. It's because you've been born of God. It's because you have been born of God. It is because you have experienced the reality of what the Scriptures call the new birth. Regeneration. You have been truly, as, John said, or as Jesus said in, the, in John 3.16, you have been born again. John chapter 3. Your spirit was once dead, dead, like somebody in a casket buried in the ground was your spirit, your soul. You were dead, but now, by a divine, reversible act of God, your spirit is alive forevermore. And it is that reality that accounts for why your faith will persevere. The word order is very important in this passage. Very important. It's the foundation as to your confidence that you will persevere. How do you know that you'll be leaving today, but in 10 years from now, you won't stop? What's the confidence? I know many people who have stopped. How do you know? I, I just got reached out to from a bunch of people in Bible college. They started a, a, a Facebook, a, a private Facebook group of all the people I went to school with, many of them, just to touch base and see what's going on. And many of them have fallen away from the faith, not walking at all. Not just like not serving as pastors and being in a local church, but not at all. Not at all. What confidence is there for us? Some of these guys were faithful, on fire for the Lord. 
The word order is very important. You don't believe in Jesus and become born of God as a result, as if the new birth was contingent on something you did. You believe in Jesus because you are born of God. You believe in Jesus because you are born of God. Notice the word order. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, what? Has been born of God. What is the evidence that you have been born of God that you believe? This means regeneration proceeds and results in faith in Jesus. This is exactly what John says in John 1, 11 through 13. The Gospel of John. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, here it is, not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but what? But of God. Why, here's the answer. Why did some people receive Jesus and others reject him? The answer in verse 13 is the ones who received him by faith were born of God. This is the very reason, it's the very reason given as to why your faith will persevere, as to why you will be victorious, why you will prevail over, ultimately, over sin, Satan, and the world. Your salvation was never decisively dependent on your ability to muster up your own will to exercise faith in Jesus. Your spirit was dead. It was dead in sin and in transgression and in this marvelous display of unmerited favor and mercy, God made you alive together with him. And suddenly, where there was a flat line, there suddenly became a pulse. And you were born of God. And just as you had nothing to do with your first birth, you had nothing to do with your first birth, you have zero to do with your second birth either. It is all, it is all of God. And now you are born again and you began to receive and to believe in Jesus for the first time ever. And now, and now you're alive, never to die again. We just sang a song. I know not how this faith was imparted to me and I began, I forget the exact wording, uh, to believe but I know whom I have believed in. We may not know how, but John gives us the answer. We do know. Why did you believe in Jesus? How was faith imparted to your soul? Because you were born again. And why will you persevere 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now? Here's why. Because you are kept by the power of God for salvation. That's the only answer. That's the only answer. I want to give an illustration that might help us see this. It is The Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan's famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress. We referred to it earlier. There will be great encouragement for your soul in this. Christian, the main protagonist of the book, it's a man named Christian, is on his journey to the celestial city from the city of destruction and he's encountering all sorts of trials and, and after Christian enters through the wicked gate that symbolizes salvation, he comes to the house of the interpreter 
to be shown wonderful and encouraging truths that will help him on his journey. And Bunyan writes the following in the House of Interpreter. He says this, I quote, Then I saw in my dream that the interpreter took Christian by the hand and led him to a place where there was a fire burning against the wall. So picture a fire against the wall. And there, there's a fire burning against the wall, and there was one standing by it. There's a man standing by this fire, and he's always throwing water on the fire, just day and night without end, just casting water on the fire in order to extinguish it and to put it out. And yet, in spite of this man's efforts, the fire burned higher and hotter. It's peculiar. Christian asked the interpreter, what does this mean? The interpreter answered, this fire is the work of grace that is done in the heart. He that's throwing water on it to extinguish it and put it out is the devil. But as you see, the fire is burning higher and hotter. And I'm going to show you the reason for it. And so he brought Christian to the backside of the wall. So picture a wall, fire. Now he's going to take Christian to the back. The man throwing water on the fire is who? The devil trying to put it out. Now the interpreter shows him the reason. So he brought him to the backside of the wall where he saw a man with a jar of oil in his hand. And this man did also continually throw oil into the fire, but secretly. Then said Christian, what means this? The interpreter answered, this man is Christ. This man is Christ, who continually, with the oil of his grace, maintains the work already begun in the heart, by the means of which the souls of his people prove gracious still in spite, in spite of what the devil can do. Praise God. And he says this, And as you saw that the man stood behind the wall to maintain the fire, this is to teach you that it is hard for the tempted to see how this work of grace is maintained in their soul. Close quote. You see what he's saying? We're there. We're the fire. That's the work of grace that God does. Our, our souls are aflame in faith with the word of God, and they're being assaulted by Satan, by our sin, by the world who's continually casting water on the fire. And yet we wonder, how? How is it that I can even go on tomorrow? How is it that my faith can even be maintained? And the answer is because you have an advocate behind the wall, secretly unknownst to yourself. You can't see it. You can't feel it as much as you can feel the water being thrown on you, but he is there maintaining the work of grace in your life. Praise God. And it's hard and it's discouraging when we don't see that, but it's there. It's truly there. So why will you persevere in the faith, beloved? For this reason, God will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you 
will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Or 1 John 5, 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God, that's Jesus, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Why will you persevere? Because the new birth demands it, and the sun affects it. And if you don't, if you don't, you are not a Christian. So if you have walked away from the faith, maybe there is some in here. You've walked away from the faith. You've lived like the devil after making a one-time commitment to Christ. You need to hear this. You have no grounds, no grounds for the assurance of your salvation. You have no evidence of the sincerity of your belief. If you have strayed, hear this. God demands his children to persevere and works decisively in them to ensure it. Just to say his working enables your working. So what is the evidence of your birth? What is the evidence of your birth? You love God accurately. You love those born of God, and you are obedient to God. And so if I had to sum it up, if I had to sum it up, how do you know you love God and those born of God? Is this subjective? Is it just kind of dependent on, do you love God? Sure, I love God. Do you love the people of God? Sure, I love the people of God. Is it just subjective to your own uh, understanding of what love is? John says no. The evidence that you are in fact loving God and his children is seen in your obedience to God's commands. The commands of God are good and loving. They also provide an objective test by which we can test our love. So let me ask in closing, are you born of God? Are you? Is this evidenced by your continuing belief and abiding in the faith? Is your faith working itself out in love for the people of God in tangible and practical ways? Are you walking in the truth and in the light amidst a dark and wicked world? Do you find the commandments of God beautiful or burdensome? Do you even know what the commandments of God are? Are you abiding in Christ daily through turning from sin and meditating on his word? Did you know it's hard? It's hard to live a life for somebody if you aren't willing to take time to get to know them daily. In the light of the reality that God hears our prayers, what if, what if we shifted our prayers from a focus of health, wealth, and prosperity, which often characterizes our prayers? Not necessarily bad. But what if we shifted the focus, not from health, wealth, and prosperity, but to holiness, wisdom, and perseverance in accordance with the will of God? I'm going to travel. 
Lots of sin happens when people travel. Don't pray merely, please pray for my safety in hell. Please pray for that. Don't pray merely for my safety in hell. Pray that while Pastor Randy is away, that he would persist in holiness. That he would persist in the will of God. That he would walk in wisdom and persevere in the faith. And pray that for one another. Let that be the focus of your prayers. And do you have life? Do you have the Son? And so have life. If you are not a believer in Jesus, the answer is no. But there's good news. If you're not a believer, the invitation still stands. If you come today, do business, what old preachers will say, do business with God today, you will have life in his name. Some of you have strayed from the faith. You are not evidencing the reality of your profession. No, God demands perseverance and invites you back today. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all, just capital A-L-L, all unrighteousness. It's an invitation for you today to get right with God. He'll have you back. He'll have you back. Some of you are living life, your Christian life, and you're just drifting kind of from church to church. You don't really have a church family that knows you that knows you, that can bear your burden, that you can confide in and and receive encouragement for your soul when you struggle in sin. You're not a part of a local church. I want to invite you. Come. Kahului Baptist Church. We love people. We love Jesus. We're all messed up together in some way, shape, or form, but we're going to finish the race together. We'd love to take you with us if you come. Let me close with the word of God, 1 John 5.13, the words of the apostle. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And may God grant that of all of us at KBC that we wouldn't just have life, but that we would know and live accordingly. Let's pray. Father, what a beautiful word this epistle of 1 John has been. Grant, grant, we pray, life in your Son this morning. Grant faith, the new birth to occur today so that we can see sinners set free, their eyes open to the beauties of the Son. May they not wait. Those who hear your word, may they not wait to turn and follow you. Today is the day salvation is offered. And Father, may we all together, fallen, afflicted, persevered, or persecuted, broken in some ways, may all of us together overcome. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Strengthen it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.